Hey, welcome to Rebel Business. It's episode 11. Paul has resurfaced from France. Uh, Phil Irvine did a heroic effort filling in for Paul, but uh, he is back from France. Um, I hope you had a good vacation, Paul. I did. I can't say I'm happily back. I would have rather stayed in Paris or stayed in, on vacation, although I don't know if you've seen anything that's happened in Paris since we left. There was a gas line explosion that did all sorts of damage. There's mass rioting. It's uh, it's mayhem over there. Oh, I, I, I knew about the, the mass protest rioting. I saw some images of that does not look like it is going to be a fun summer in France. Um, and I just think as it gets hotter, those people are going to get more irritated. I think there's like a ton of studies on how human irritation really increases uh, the hotter it gets. Um, but uh, you came back to uh, certainly a week full of news. Um, a lot of things were going on. A couple of things that I thought were interesting. Um, you know, obviously everybody's been talking about a lot of the Supreme Court decisions, but I think one of them that uh, we probably have touched on before and really does have an impact on you know the economy and just a, a lot of different things is I guess they're not going to forgive these student loans, right? That. That got struck down. And, um, you know, I, I don't know where I kind of stand on that. There's I, I can see both sides of that, actually. Um, but the, the one part that I will say I have a pretty strong opinion is what the hell is going on at these colleges? All right. There, there's one thing to have to take out loans. And I get you should pay back your debt. But the cost to go to school now it's fucking absurd. It's ridiculously expensive. And I don't know what's created this bubble, right? I have an interesting stat to share with you. Since 1980, inflation for tuition is 1,200%. But the US CPI inflation is a mere 228%. How, how is that possible? Wow. How is it that schools have gotten this expensive? I don't know. And, you know, unfortunately, the worst part about that is it's across the board, right? Like, well, everybody will gravitate towards Harvard, Princeton, you know, yeah. Stanford and uh, tuition inflation there. But the truth is, I it's went everywhere. to UCLA. Yeah, it's super expensive. It's way, way expensive if you are out of state. But it's just become, you know, grossly unaffordable. And the unfortunate part of that is like, we still are in this mindset. Um, societally, that you must go to college to get, you know, the right education to, yeah. to go into the working world. And, you know, I know people hustle and they figure out other ways, but it is still, you know, the the most time honored. And it's still know, the bridge. It's still path. the bridge. Yeah. It's still the bridge for you to do better than your parents, right? right. That it, you do, you know, whether you learn anything at school or not, that's up, that's up for debate. Half of that's probably on the student, half of that's on the school itself. But some of the things I was looking into on this, because it really did bother me, right? Because the average age of somebody applying to undergrad is 17, 18 years old. You're asking this person to make a financial decision, a real financial decision about their future 
about taking on this debt. They're barely learned how to drive at this point, right? How are they equipped to make a nearly $100,000 decision, $50,000 decision? You don't learn any of this crap in high school about taking on a loan. But it's also, I, I, was, I was so annoyed by it because you know, we've both gone to undergrad and grad school. I left with student debt. I know you left with student debt. Um, the the median median salary for a college president in America is three hundred twenty five thousand dollars. Wow! What are they doing? What are <laughs> they doing? Can you name your college president? I can't even I, tell you if it was a man yeah. or a woman. <laughs> I couldn't tell you who the current one was. I knew the name of the lady who was our president when I was in school, but like I had to your point, no idea what she did on a day-to-day basis. And frankly, I don't think anybody else did either. So, and, and that's the median $325,000. I mean, I think the top set uh, when you get above 75%, it's almost a half million dollars. And even when you go down to the 25% mark, it's still like a quarter of a million dollars. What are they doing? What are they doing to earn that? And I just, I, I, I find it ridiculous because I remember being charged for everything possible when you're in college. I mean, if you parked your car in the wrong spot, 90 seconds, you get a freaking ticket. You get banged out for all types of fees left and right when you're a college student. I just don't know what they're doing with the money other than expanding the campuses, buying and building buildings. Um, I think it's ridiculous. I think they should audit these schools. How is it that your expenses have gotten this high? It's insane to me. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, let, let's, you know, step out of the, the sports realm because, you know, I, I don't know if you saw today, University of Florida is doing a $400 million makeover to their football stadium. $400 million That's just renovation. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Um, but, it's, you know, and obviously, it's the name of the game, right? Yeah. And I know I mean, that the program makes money, but this is, you know, they should be, they should be regulated more. Give me a break. And it's not, you can't, you know, I know a lot of the arguments with public schools goes back to the teachers unions. And I'm I'm not familiar enough with what's going on at the local level to understand that, but there are no unions for the professors and the administrators. And I'm like, who's regulating this industry? Because they can say it's a not-for-profit industry, but that's bullshit. It's total bullshit. It's a for-profit industry. When you're talking about salaries in the half million range, give me a break, man. I just don't understand what has accelerated their cost. Because when I went to school, man, I don't know what your dorms were like. Mine were like prisons, all right? There were cinder blocks, yeah. no AC. It was like, yeah. uh, give you know, they may as well give you a fucking straitjacket when you show up at orientation. That's where you felt like you were going. I was like, so it's not like as students, you saw mass improvement because of all this money being poured in. Where was it going? Uh, mostly to build buildings. I, I don't know. It's uh, It's insane. I'm not, you know somebody who's just like, oh, just debt forgiveness is the solution. But I understand that there's a problem here, right? I mean, there is. There's a huge problem here. And it, it really revolves around the fact that schools will just inflate the cost because they know the government's going to give you a loan. Right. That's yeah. it. 
you know, and so I don't see why you can't implement some regulation here because it's it's nonsense. It's nonsense. Like get better at running your school. I, I think it's definitely on the schools to try and control costs. I, I feel bad for kids, right? You you go into to yeah. college with the idea that you want to study, you know, let's say uh, literature, right, or something that doesn't you know, automatically give you a path towards a very high salary. And if you so choose a private institution or, you know, God forbid, a, a, an Ivy League institution, hopefully for, you know, for your own benefit, you're getting some help from your parents um, or you're getting grants. But if you don't, you're really digging yourself such you're a chasing deep hole. You're chasing yeah. that forever, man. You're chasing that forever. And like I said, to expect a 17 or 18 year old to make that decision and, and be able to have the forward looking vision to be measuring what this is going to do to them and impact them down. If they're, you're just trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do when you graduate, for God's sakes, let alone yeah. this burden of paying this money back for services that you're not getting. There's just right. no way. I looked at some of the prices for these schools. I was like, there's just no way that education is worth that. And it plays out because the salaries have barely gone up and the cost has. So I hope that the Supreme Court knocking this down at least pisses off enough people to be like, all right, well, there's no forgiveness, but let's just focus some of our ire at the people that are charging the bill. I mean, yeah. you go to a restaurant and somebody gives you a bill for 500 bucks and all you got were buffalo wings, man. I'm going to throw that shit at your face. I was like, come I, on. I think they just need to come up with a better mechanism, right? Because Biden's going with this like really grassroots, hey, let's just, you know, cut checks or forgive debt. But why not something where there's, call it pay to play, right? So you... Have yeah. to get a you know gainful employment for six months or a year, and so the a corporate like entity has to sponsor you and and basically validate that you're you know a contributing member to their organization, and and after that, the government either through some like tax rebate, um, or or you know maybe they write you a check, uh, or just forgive the debt outright. That. You know, that's the path towards debt relief. Instead I think of they've got to, yeah, they're going to uh, have to do something. I mean, for the people that are kind of saddled with it, I don't know what's going to happen. But going forward, they better, you know, these Senate committee hearings, bring some of these presidents in that are making over a million bucks and tell them to justify their salary. Explain to me why would, you're making that much money. It's absurd. Uh, it's absurd. It's absurd. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop because it actually really irritated more. I was reading about it and researching and I was like, this is just a racket, man. This is yeah. a racket. That's what it is. Um, another uh, bit of controversy too this week. Uh, and it's kind of hits on some of the data that we've been talking about and validating information that's out there. Um, if you haven't seen it, there is a tweet uh, that went viral. It was about Airbnb revenues uh, for a bunch of markets in the U.S., um, you know, like Austin and Asheville, North Carolina and Phoenix. 
And the tweet went viral because the drop in revenue year over year was something like 50% in Austin and 45% in Phoenix and 35% in Asheville. And so I actually got that in my inbox. A couple of people sent it to me and I was like, whoa, that's, I mean, 50% drop is insane. But then another data aggregator called, uh, I think it was... um, all the rooms, right? All the rooms was the one who said 50%. And then it. Um, it was uh, Air DNA that said it was more like 3.6% for the whole country. And, I, and then I looked at Austin, all the rooms said 50% drop. And then Air DNA said 7.2% drop. So which and one just, is it? Which one is, this is- it? To be clear, this is the average revenue per night, basically the, yes. the room rate, right? Yeah, okay. per, uh, based on the listings, based on yeah. listings that are in the in, in public domain. It scrapes the data. I think uh, AirDNA has got like 10 million properties it scrapes the data from. But that's a huge difference, 50% yeah. and 7.2%. I, yeah. I, I was, and I still haven't gotten to the bottom of it. And I don't think anybody really knows which number is accurate. And yet this is directly related to a publicly traded company's revenue. Yeah. What's the correct data? Yeah, I, I don't think unless you went in and you mined the data yourself, and even that would be kind of an imperfect science, uh, you probably wouldn't get a good answer. You'd probably get a better answer than one of these two, because you're right, these are so polarizing right? You're at two extremes. One is like marginal uh, yeah. difference. And the other is like existential crisis for the Airbnb operators in Austin. <laughs> exactly. And Phoenix, right. So, exactly. And and you can imagine which one got retweeted more, right? Yeah, it was the one yeah. that has shows systemic risk, existential right. crisis, collapse, yeah. you know, all of the buzzwords that gets it going. Of you know, of course, no comment from all the rooms on their data that they put out, yeah. uh, and you know, it just kind of speaks to what we were talking about. You know, we saw that the AI had created a false image of the Pentagon getting, you know, blown up, and the market reacted. Um, this is similar, and it's not even AI, right? These are yeah. companies putting out that information, and it. It, what's wild to me is basically if you have, if you're really good at formatting something in Excel and you put it out there, people are going to freaking believe it. Yeah. That's the scary and the, part. And the more it's just a very it nice is. formatted uh, table. Yeah. And yeah, people were like, yeah, 50%. It's part of the reason that like, I, I don't generally trust any news source singularly anymore. I, I hate to say that, right? It used to be, you could pick your, yeah. you know, news source and you were you're generally going to get pretty you know objective information and now it's just you're within the margin of error yeah exactly you know, that, that's all you're hoping for you don't expect data to be perfect right i have a lot of subscription uh databases that i subscribe to right i'm in real estate i need to know what rents are and occupancy and leasing velocity all of these things matter I don't take any of them as gospel, right? You're an idiot if you do. You've got to use your common sense and also use your own, you know, resources to figure out how close this is and really what's the margin of error. But when you're talking about 50% and 7%, 
that's not margin of error. That's somebody is wrong. <laughs> you yeah. know, somebody is very wrong. Um, and so what really is the number? I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I don't know. Uh, I, I poked around a little bit myself and I was like, I don't know how to tell which one is accurate or not. Yeah. You know, I mean, you need the raw data and you have to spend a lot of time, but kind of just speaks to, you know, how important it is when you're looking at an investment or anything where you're trying to predict the future value, you know, those, those initial assumptions are everything, right? Because right now, if you looked at that and you went with the one that went down 50%, you'd be selling everything in Austin. And right. that's not reflective of what's going on there. So I don't know. Um, I found no, that a- one to be pretty interesting. Uh, and I imagine it happens more frequently than we than we're aware of. But that was one that hit my inbox and I it, it did grab my attention. I was like, what? 50%. And now they're still figuring it out as of yeah. uh, close of business today. They still don't know. So I guess the lesson there is uh, believe nothing until you verify it yourself. I mean, well, uh, that that end, like don't take any singular piece of information on its own. Right. So yeah. there's occupancy. And there's this, you know, revenue yeah. per available room, right? Yeah. And so taken together, right? Like if you were to fast forward to the next um, quarterly report for, for Airbnb, if you can, I don't know if they provide both of those numbers, but if you can somehow figure out, you know, where their revenue is relative to last quarter or the comparable quarter last year, and then figure out, you know, was this a yeah. uh, function of more occupancy, higher occupancy and lower red yep. par, right? Or vice exactly. versa. Exactly. You, get, you, you, you have to stress to test. You, yeah. You have to stress yeah. test the other assumptions and yeah. then you'll kind of get a better idea of how accurate this is. If you start to see occupancies doing crazy things, like you said, and that, there's other issues going on and that hotel occupancy spikes and it's really high. Well, that's your direct competitor. So yeah. you're starting to see that. So you'd have to like mull around, you know, a sports analogy is, you know, if a, a wide receiver catches one pass for 75 yards, that doesn't mean he averages 75 yards. you got to check right. how many passes did he catch? If he only caught one, He's not averaging 75 yards, right? So, you know, it's it's similar. That's obviously a very basic example, but yeah. um, data, you, you got to kind of look at it every which way, you know, you can't just tell if somebody's healthy based on just their height, you need their weight, you need their cholesterol, you need their blood pressure, you need all types of things to to make that determination. And this was one step, but it went viral, man, for sure which was kind of wild, um, which, and I think it also went viral because of where we are in the market, right? There's still a lot of uncertainty. Everybody's still trying to guess when this recession is coming or when this market pivot is coming. And when you throw something out like that, that is just so polarizing when you see negative 50%, there's going to be a reaction, you know, if, there wasn't so much talk right now about the future of the U.S. economy and where it's going and what direction it's going to be going. And maybe that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, but I think because of where we are, 
um, that's played a big impact. And one thing I actually saw on that point of kind of where we are, I think we've all been kind of struggling to compare this to another period of time in the U.S. economy, right? And I saw this recently, and it was, it was actually pretty close to what was going on. It was a period of 1946 to 1949, a three-year period. Um, and this was post-World War II. And what this economist was saying is that because of the war, the U.S. had to print a lot of money, invest a lot into that. And people were not spending money because of the war. They weren't buying cars. They weren't buying homes. And he likened it to what's going on now where people weren't spending money during the pandemic. They were holding it back. And on top of that, a ton of stimulus. Right. Um, what happened in 1946 to 1949, once the war ended, there was 10% inflation because of the pent up demand, everybody was going out and buying these things. And we obviously similarly have seen that. So, you know, kind of a theory of the day is maybe that's the period we're going in. It's probably one of the better articulated analogies of what's happened in the past to predict the future that I've seen. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, it's certainly comparable, um, and it's starting to uh, mimic what we're seeing in the market today, which is it's not quite so bad. You know, there's still periodic layoffs, and the there's some softness, but corporate earnings are they're generally okay, and you yeah. know, stock market is performing pretty well. Uh, I think the one difference, at least in the public markets today, is there is a very um, tangible reward for um, cutting cost. And so here, you know, with all the companies that have announced layoffs, they've generally seen a pop in their stock in their stock price. And they're, the, the general expectation is that they're like performing as well, even though they're not at the same capacity, right? They're, they're doing more with less. And I, I don't believe that that's necessarily true. I think it is uh, something that we're going to see a little bit further down the line where there's just, it's going to contract. Our economy is going to contract. Yeah. We're gonna Those margins to are going to come. They're going to pull in. I mean, they're going to yeah. retreat at some point. And I think what this economist was pointing at was when you have such a sort of slow glide into a slowdown, that coming out of it isn't going to be very quick and that it may be just as slow and moderate, which would essentially predict a slow growth period and nothing overly severe. Uh, so I, I thought it was interesting and that's what it's starting to feel like. To your point, you know, the corporate balance sheets have been pretty decent. Um, you know, granted it, you know, the S&P and all of these index funds have been heavily weighted by the top, you know, call five to 10 companies, smaller companies are probably not doing close to the margin they were before. But ultimately, when you look at the U.S. economy, it's about the whole thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it's driven, driven by it's top heavy. Right. Yeah. It, it, it always is. Right. I mean, it always is. And 
it, it, I don't think that's going to change. Um, so uh, this was an interesting one. I, I actually probably will do a little more digging on it, but it's the first time I read something that really sounded well thought out. And I felt like that does make sense, particularly that it matched on the amount of stimulus that was put into the system and yeah. the pent up demand and then the inflation that ensued 10% was about, you know, we were probably a little bit higher than that at some point, but still it came down to that nine, 10% pretty quickly and then got sticky. So I thought that was an interesting theory. Um, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, but, you know, it, it, like you said, I think there's probably going to be more layoffs. Things like that are going to continue to happen. Um, and what comes with layoffs, obviously, is a lot of, you know, turnover, people looking for jobs, um, people trying to kind of figure that out. And while they're doing that, they're probably going to spend a little bit less, um, you know, interviewing for jobs is never fun. And while you're doing that, you usually don't have the confidence to spend a lot of money. Or I, I when I was in those positions, I certainly was not uh, confident about that. And I hated going on job interviews, even though I've, I've been on a lot of them, been on a lot. I've been on 87. I actually have a spreadsheet of all wow. the interviews I've been on. Um, and I have to say, not all of them were memorable uh or they were memorable for all of the wrong reasons um i have a few that were horrible uh i don't know how i'm willing to share my worst one um if you are I, i'll do it i'll gladly do it i have plenty that i can draw from I mean, I've had, I have a couple in the top three, but probably the worst one was I was working with you at the time. Um, I was at Lehman Brothers and, you know, I had to sneak out. I probably told you, hey man, like cover for me. <laughs> like if they're looking for me, tell them um, wherever. Um, and you snuck out, by the way, you, your job search was not all that discreet. Just, <laughs> just the FYI. I know. I I used to just search for jobs uh, on my computer at my desk while people I worked for saw that. Um, I just didn't care. I, I definitely fell under the category of I don't care. I am trying to leave this horrible place. Uh, but it was one of those times where it was like they only would interview me midday. So I snuck out. Um, it was up in Midtown. So I, it was kind of a you know, it took me about 15, 20 minutes to get there. Didn't have any train issues. I was cutting it close, got in. I felt like I did really, really well on the interviews. I, I met with like four or five people. I walked out of there. I was like, I'm going to get this job. And it was one that I really wanted. Was, Do you remember? It was, it was like this. Um, it was, it wasn't quite a startup. It was about.com. It was. Uh, oh, yeah. 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 And so I thought I'd be one of those guys that was going to get a job in tech and be like, fuck you, Lehman Brothers, I resign. I'm going to go to this tech job where they serve booze on Thursdays. It's going to be great. And I won't have to wear this fucking suit anymore. So I was pumped. And then um, I remember coming back to the office and um, I saw my reflection. And I was like, what the hell is on my back? I had a suit on. I had bird shit, like a lot of it, dripping down my back. And uh, 
but yeah and i had it during the entirety of dm2 um <laughs> and, it, oh. and then when i was like rewinding thinking about the interview i was like you know everything went well until they like stood up and then walked out and then somebody would walk in and they clearly were telling them he's got bird shit on his back because oh my god what i thought about it, i was like oh they all looked they all looked and nobody to. told me yeah no question they all saw it it's like if you have something stuck in your teeth in an interview they all saw it like they're all judging you for it um but yeah. obviously nobody has the gumption to say anything that sucks dude <laughs> it did suck i was probably what 20 five maybe yeah. um i did not get the job um i mean <laughs> would you surprising. hire somebody yeah. would you would you I, hire somebody who had bird shit on them i mean you again right like uh you would have to so grossly outperform <laughs> the other candidates that like you know it, it stood on its own you're you're the most capable and you had a bad day of bird shit on you but like there's almost no way you get hired like just yeah the i mean i remember yeah. going home and just thinking man like it's <laughs> it's supposed to be good luck by the way yeah it was not, not. good luck uh, whoever said that i i just i'd like to punch them in the face because it was not good luck and it was very expensive to get that thing dry clean oh i can imagine that's gotta um, be like that stuff does not come out easily and and worse i was like i have to go back to lehman brothers um <laughs> on top of everything i got shit on today by a bird and now i'm gonna go back and get shit on by my boss this is yeah. just fucking beautiful welcome to lehman brothers uh, that's all right so that's my uh worst interview um i am glad that i work for myself uh because i don't have to do that anymore but uh, i did go on 87 of them that was one that stuck out uh how about, oh, how about you paul so i will tell you my one of my worst interviews was also my shortest interview okay um so i applied to georgetown for undergrad and like i did plenty well in school and you know I, I had all the ap's and activities and stuff like that so i was fairly confident going into the situation and uh the woman who was interviewing me happened to live like five minutes away from my parents like okay a couple streets away uh, i probably could have walked there if i wanted to but uh she decided that she wanted to do an evening interview it was like 6 30 or 7 uh so I, you know Put on my Sunday best and showed up to her door. And as soon as I sat down, I noticed that like she was the only one in the house, and there were three very rowdy children in the next room. Oh my god! I was like, oh, this is not going to go well. Um, and so I tried to keep my poise, and I answered and asked a bunch of questions. And you're 17 uh, at this point. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that just not prepared for this situation. Like, I, I hadn't dealt with any little kids, right, besides my cousins uh, for quite some time. And so I'm like, really? Like, you sign up to, to interview people, and, like, this is the environment? Like, there's somebody that can help out? Because, it, it, you know, it impacts my, you know, of course first of all it's My, just yeah I, I think it's just weird to be going to somebody's house that was the way it was before you know there was no uh you know like 
alternative route. It was you met at somebody's house or, you know, you didn't think to meet at a coffee shop or anything like that. It was, you know, here's my address. Let's meet there. So uh, she was obviously very distracted. She got up and, and left the room at one point. And then she came back and every question I asked was like a one word answer. And it was like, okay. And so by like the 10 minute mark, I had asked enough questions and gotten enough like poor answers that I got the picture, right? Like she's not interested in interviewing me right now. So I made the call. I was like, I I can sit here and waste her time for another half an hour um, and probably piss her off more. Or I can cut my losses and like kind of give her what she wants and just sort of, you know, give her the elevator yeah, pitch and walk out. Yeah. And, and sort of be memorable for having, you know, done her a solid. Uh, so that's the route I went. And I was like, OK, well, you know, I know uh, you've got a lot here on your plate. And so I ran through my credentials and I was like, I really appreciate you taking the time. You know, I'll let you get back to it. And I left. And I went home and my mom was like, oh, my God, what did you do? (laughs) I was like, nothing. This is not on me. I did nothing to deserve this. And she was like, I can't believe it. Like, there's never been a college interview shorter than that. Like, I basically warmed up a cup of tea. It hasn't (laughs) even finished steeping. And you're back like that. There's no way that went well. And of course, like, I knew that there was a better than average chance that it didn't, but I just wasn't willing to get it out and, you know, cause more suffering. So I left, I, I, and then I went to school and people asked me about it. Cause I told them that, you know, I had uh, applied to Georgetown and I was like, yeah, I, I'm not, you know, holding my breath. I don't think I'm going to get in there because that's yeah, rough. Man. It's kind of rough. Yeah. That, that's definitely rough. Um, and it really wasn't your fault. Uh, you know, that's just, no. it just sucks when you go into one of those situations on an interview and you have no control over the circumstance that's making it very difficult. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, and I think it's I, unfair to the person oh, that's being that, interviewed. That's if you're terrible, like, man. You're 17, yeah. you know, I mean, that that's, that's terrible. When I look back at my interview, I kind of think, had I known a bird shat on me, would I have even gone upstairs? Because I don't even know how you would clean that. I mean, you could, yeah, in theory, you just take your jacket off, right? You Something. Just, like, that, you roll with the, you know, I'm going informal here. Like, you have to, you, you have to adjust, I would have had right? to pivot some, somehow, some way. I didn't. Yeah. I just was on the street cursing um, yeah. when I saw it. I was pissed. I was so <laughs> pissed. But... Yeah, everybody goes through bad interviews. My only advice is uh, just go on as many as you can because some of them um, are literally going to be shitty. Uh, so yeah. just go on as many as you can. You cannot score perfect on all of them. Something no. will go wrong that has nothing to do with you. So uh, and all of it's good good practice, right? I mean, ultimately, we all need to do more public speaking and yeah. practice. Um, so take it. And I I would say particularly somebody who's in their early thirties right now, they haven't lived through a real recession. Like you should really just interview, uh, even if you have a job that you feel is pretty stable. Um, if we do go into a slowing period, it changes pretty quickly. Um, and you know, companies 
don't care uh, about your <laughs> emotional welfare at all when it comes to cost cutting. Um, they don't. Uh, they really don't. Unless you're a university president, then you're good. <laughs> Apparently, you don't have to do shit and you get a half million bucks. So you could try to apply for that job. Uh, well, that's uh, kind of what's been going on um, uh, this week that we thought was interesting. Uh, like we always do uh, to close the episode, um, there is a movie coming out this uh, weekend coming up. Um, where we're going to try to predict how much money is it going to make? Is it a uh, trailer trash or treasure? Um, we've actually been doing pretty well on this uh, ball while you were away. We we uh, predicted some pretty well. This one is a joyride. Um, the description of this movie is it's an epic journey of four Asian American women traveling through Asia in search of one of their birth mothers. Along the way, their experience will become one of bonding, friendship, belonging, and no holes barred debauchery that reveals the universal truth of what it means to know and love who you are. So a uh, comedy version of the Joy Luck Club um, is how I would describe what I saw. And if you're too young to know what the Joy Luck Club is, uh, watch that trailer. But don't watch the movie. Uh, it's just sad and depressing. Um, oh, man. This is like a mashup of um, The Hangover, Bridesmaids, and uh, Sex in the City, right? It's yeah. all like wrapped in to one 90-minute feature-length feature, feature film. I, I mean, I, I'm curious to hear what you, what you think. I think this is going to crush it. Oh, so you're going to crush it. Uh, even on the premiere weekend, you think we're going to no hard feelings with Jennifer Lawrence uh, was what we predicted last episode. Yeah. made 16 million. Yeah. I, I thought it was going to make like four. Phil thought eight. I mean, 16 is yeah. a huge, huge these days because it's not like it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. 16 million for a comedy is a big, big time number. So. Do you think it's going to be something like that or blackening, which was the weekend before that was, I think, six million. And that was only on a five million dollar budget, which was impressive. Wow. That, that was, was really impressive. impressive. Yeah. Uh, so I where do you where do you think this yeah, is? 15 to 20. Wow. I mean, we're, we're in the middle of the summer. Right. There's always this like pent up movie uh demand right right at this time and usually there's some blockbuster you know marvel or star wars or big sci-fi movie that like takes the cake but in this case you've got you know this is this movie was from the co-creators of crazy rich asians right okay i think it's like seth rogan as a co-producer right so it's got certain elements that like people are familiar with and that is a recipe for success. So just the timing of it and uh, the plot itself, I think this tells well. big. I think it will do well. I think some of it's going to be predictable. I mean, you already say, if you watch the preview, you've got like the very promiscuous Asian girl, then the Asian girl who doesn't like right. to be Asian. And I'm going <laughs> to guess one of them comes out of the closet at some point. Yeah, um, there's always some gender reveal or... Uh, there's going to be. Uh, if there is it, yeah. uh, I'm going to find out. I'll, I, I'll, put, I'll put 20 bucks that there's going <laughs> to be that for sure. Um but it looks like it's a fun movie. Um, again, I'm yeah. not going to go see this, but uh, I could see it doing. 
I don't think it'll be no hard feelings. That's 16 is a big number. I, I think it'll do a little better than blackening. I think it'll get seven. I think seven is, I'm going to, I'm going to go with 7 million. Uh, my yeah. guess is it's going to really pick up steam after that weekend, but for premier weekend, I think it'll be seven. And if none of the predictions I had about the, the characters and there's some surprises, uh, I think the movie will be like a huge hit, but opening weekend, I'm going to roll with $7 million. That's going to be our episode. Uh, we will be back next week um, and uh, we will see what goes on in the business world and uh, we'll see what happens with Joyride. Until then, uh, thanks for joining us. See you then. Thanks, everyone.